I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. Through December, we were looking together at the servant songs. We come to a passage of Scripture that sometimes is considered a servant song. It certainly is a passage of Scripture written in the first person. As we'll see, it is our Lord Jesus Christ himself speaking to us these words. We'll be reading not the entirety of the chapter, but verses 1 through 3. Hear God's word. Isaiah writes, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask him to bless us as we study his word. Well, Lord, our God, and we praise you and we thank you that you have spoken to us. As you have been with us last year, so you will be with us this year. And you are present with us through your word, by your spirit. We thank you, O Lord, for your rich promise that your word will not return to you empty. It will accomplish all that you purpose for it, all that you have sent it for. We thank you, O Lord, uh, that you are the one who bears much fruit through the raining down of your word. We ask that you would even this morning meet us where we are, that by your Holy Spirit we would be able to hear these words from Isaiah 61, that you, O Lord, would take them and plant them deep within us and bear much fruit for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up, I was always one of those odd kids who loved school. And one of the things I loved about school uh, was how every new school year, every new semester uh, was uh, a chance to start from scratch. Right? All new classes, uh, a whole new schedule, all new books, blank, clean, white notebooks. Right? Uh, everything was new. And then you graduate and you no longer have that experience, except at the new year, right? Here it is. This is the chance. This is one of the few chances that we have uh, out of school uh, to have that sense of, of, of invigoration that, that all is new, right? We're beginning again. It's a, a fresh start, a new beginning. But I wonder this morning uh, if perhaps rather than uh, the feeling of a fresh start, a new beginning, it maybe feels like more of the same. We're still in the same old pandemic, aren't we? Right? Perhaps you are looking back and looking forward and you, you see that you're still facing the same physical and spiritual and relational and financial and, and, and emotional, all the different problems that you had you know, last week, you still have this week. Perhaps, though, when you think of this new year, there is newness, but it's a newness of grief and sorrow. It's a newness of having lost a spouse, a child, a friend. It's a newness, perhaps, of being diagnosed with failing health anew. 
And perhaps the newness that you're experiencing this morning is the new consequences of poor choices you made or the new circumstances that the loss of a job or missed opportunities have brought into your life. Newness is not always a pleasurable experience, is it? Well, this morning in our text, King Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, is speaking to us and he is reminding us that he has broken into our world and he has brought to us, his people, a newness that is true, that is lasting, that is glorious, a newness that overwhelms every sorrow, that breaks every form of bondage, that transforms us by the grace of God and for the glory of God. But how do we know that Jesus is speaking here in Isaiah chapter 61? Well, because he tells us that he is. If you were to turn to Luke chapter 4, you would see that in one of the first public appearances that Jesus made in his ministry, he was in his hometown of Nazareth. And as was his custom, his habit, as I hope is your habit, he came to the synagogue. He came to the, the assembly of God's people on the Sabbath day. And he arose to read the scriptures publicly. In God's providence, what was handed to him was the scroll of Isaiah. And he himself intentionally, deliberately, on purpose, turned to this passage and read the first of verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. He closed the scroll. He sat down, ready to teach the people. And this is what he began to say to them. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, Isaiah 61 has been fulfilled. I wish we had the fullness, the whole of that sermon that Jesus preached that day. He was telling them there in Nazareth, in his hometown, that he was the one who was anointed with God's spirit in his baptism that he had just received from John, his cousin. He was the one who had been anointed, set apart, equipped, sent on a mission, the mission that we see laid out for us here in this passage the time of which Isaiah had spoken had finally come to pass. The appearing of God's Son in flesh. Jesus had come to accomplish our redemption and to proclaim the good news of all that he did for sinners. Just like we've seen in the other servant songs in the book of Isaiah, Jesus here is the anointed prophet who is announcing good news, who is preaching the gospel and his words come with power to deliver, to transform, to effectively bring to pass all that you see here in these verses. All this newness that is proclaimed to us in this text. And so what does Jesus give to his people? What does he give to those who receive his word, who hear his word, who put their trust in him? Well, he gives us three things as we see here in this passage. First, he gives us a new comfort and joy. Second, he gives us a new freedom. And third, he gives us a new strength and righteousness. Let's think about these new things that are ours in Christ this morning. First, a new comfort and joy. Notice the way that Jesus describes those for whom he came. He speaks of the poor, the brokenhearted, all who mourn. Who is Jesus speaking of when he uses these words? Well, remember the, the original context of, of, of Isaiah's first readers. They're in exile in Babylon. 
They are suffering. They are suffering, aren't they? The consequences of their own sin. If you were to turn back to the beginning of this second part of Isaiah, chapter 40, you would hear words very similar to these. You would hear this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You see here in Isaiah 61, Jesus is referring to those who are first and foremost poor in spirit, who are afflicted and bowed down and humbled and brokenhearted by their sin and by the sin of others around them. Those who confess with tears the words that we would read if you flip back to chapter 59, our transgressions are multiplied before you, Lord. Our sins testify against us. Our transgressions are with us. We know our iniquities, transgressing and denying the Lord, turning back from following our God. The brokenhearted, those who mourn, are are grieving over sin and and over the misery, the suffering that, that sin has brought into this world. And what does Jesus promise to do for the poor in spirit, for the brokenhearted, for those who mourn? He tells us that he will bring you good news. He tells you that he will bind up your broken heart. He will comfort you in the midst of your tears. Jesus comes declaring to you who he is and what he has done for sinners. As we've seen in Isaiah over these past weeks, he has come to be the suffering servant, the the sinless substitute, the one who obeys God's law perfectly and then dies for the place of those who do not obey God's word perfectly. What did Isaiah 53 tell us? He, He bears our griefs. He carries our sorrows. His words come with power, with healing comfort. He binds up our broken hearts the way that a doctor would would set a broken bone and, and bind it up, bind it up in a cast. Jesus comes and speaks peace to you who grieve, a peace that he has accomplished for you with the Lord God so that you might know a peace within your own hearts. And look at the beautiful, incredible, amazing way that he transforms us there in verse 3. What does he give to those who mourn? Well, he takes away our ashes, right? The symbol of mourning in that culture. He takes away our ashes and he gives us a beautiful headdress, a turban, this, this symbol and sign of joy. He takes away our tears and he gives us the oil of gladness, the perfume, the cologne of gladness for our head. He takes away our faint spirit. He gives us praise as a garment for our body. All is made new. He has removed for us these ashy rags of sorrow. And he decks us out in the beauty of joy, the beauty of comfort. Jesus gives to his people a new comfort and joy. We sing of it, don't we? Tidings of comfort and joy. Good news that Jesus has come and made all things new. But not just a new comfort and joy. Jesus also, secondly, gives us a new freedom. He proclaims this good news of freedom. Look at the rest of verse 1 and 2. God has sent him to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the Spirit to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the language that Isaiah is using here is taken right out of the book of Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 25, when Moses gives instructions about the year of Jubilee. Perhaps you've heard of this year of Jubilee. 
But what is the year of Jubilee? The year of Jubilee was something that was supposed to happen. It doesn't ever seem like it ever did happen in Israel's history, but it was supposed to happen at the end of seven periods of seven years. So in the 50th year, every 50th year, there was to be a release. There was to be liberty. There was to be freedom. Everyone who had sold or really leased their land to someone else was to go back to their original land, their original property. The land was to return and to revert back to the, the one who had had it originally. Uh, every 50th year, any poor person who had sold himself into slavery to, to cover debts would be freed. Why? Because at, by that 50th year, the way that it was set up, the debts would have been paid off. So the year of Jubilee was a year of great rejoicing. It was a year of freedom, a year of release, a year of liberty. And Isaiah is telling us here, Jesus is telling us in the gospel of Isaiah, that in him, the true year of Jubilee has finally come. Through his life and death, our debts have been paid. Through his death on the cross, he has purchased our freedom and the year of liberty, the year of jubilee, has been proclaimed and has been entered into by all those who trust in him. Now, there's another image here, of course, isn't there? As we've seen over the course of these past weeks, the context, again, is the exile and the deliverance out of exile in Babylon. And that exile was a real experience for the Jews who lived through it, who experienced it. But as the New Testament makes clear, Babylon is a symbol, is a type of spiritual captivity, to the guilt of sin, to the power of Satan, to the fear of death. And Jesus here is reminding us that through his life and his death, all of those who hope in him are freed from sin, from the guilt of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, freed from the curse of the law, freed from Satan, freed from the fear of death. How does Paul put it in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14? He says, For God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. We have been rescued. Over the Christmas break, we watched a, a documentary by National Geographic entitled The Rescue. Perhaps you've seen this. It's a, the story of the, the rescue of the, 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 the boys' soccer team in Thailand who back in 2018 was, was trapped in a cave. And they had gone in uh, to a cave that everyone went to, and, and it was a normal thing for people to do, but uh, there was this incredible monsoon rain that came unexpectedly and trapped them in the cave. And once they realized they were trapped, once they realized they were back there, the, the entire uh, Thai Navy was mobilized. There were these uh, professional cave divers from uh, Australia and from, from Britain and from around the world who, who came there to Thailand to, to in, in, engage in this rescue. It, it mobilized hundreds, if not thousands of people to rescue these boys and their coach who for 17 days were trapped in the darkness of this cave. It's an amazing story, an amazing documentary. But here's the thing. All the people who are mobilized, the whole world watching, God rescued us through one man, Jesus Christ. He delivered us through his son. In Jesus Christ, Paul will go on to say in Colossians 1, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. 
Jesus has given to us a new freedom in his gospel. He has freed us from sin's penalty. He has freed us from sin's power. No more guilt. No more shame. No more inability. No more excuses. God has granted to us rescue. We have been redeemed, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Do you see what this means? No matter what last year was like for you, no matter what you did or didn't do, no matter how you failed, no matter what opportunity you might have missed or, or botched, no matter what you experienced, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of the liberty and the freedom that we have, we can leave 2021 in 2021. Right? We can do what Paul says in Philippians 1, forget what lies behind and reach forward to what lies ahead. We can move forward in the confidence, in the shamelessness, in the joy of knowing that we are free, we are rescued, we have been liberated and delivered. We are in our inheritance through Jesus Christ. All of your shame has been removed and you are free to move forward. You are free from everything that would spiritually hold you in bondage. We saw it a couple weeks ago, didn't we? If you were here when we read Zechariah chapter three, Whenever Satan comes to accuse us, God says, no, he rebukes Satan. And he says, this is a brand plucked from the fire. I've, I've salvaged it. I've rescued it. I've delivered it from the flames. I've clothed this man, this woman, this boy, this girl in the righteousness of my son. There's no more guilt that I see in him or her. I've given to him the same spirit that I've anointed my own son with. Satan, be gone. We have a new freedom in Jesus Christ, and therefore we have a confidence, we have a hope. Again, we have a joy and a comfort that comes only through the gospel. Well, finally, we see in this text one more thing that is new for us, and it is this new strength and new righteousness that is ours. You see it there in verse 3. The, the goal of Jesus' spirit-anointed and spirit-empowered mission is to bring the good news of salvation to sinners so that they might be called, verse 3, oaks of righteousness. This word oaks refers to a mighty tree, tall and strong, well-established. Having grown up in Baton Rouge, I can't help but, but think first and foremost of those live oaks, those stately live oaks, with their moss-covered branches that, that go up tall and then bend down low to the ground. Perhaps you think of pine trees that grow strong and tall here in Mississippi. Perhaps you have been out west and you've seen the, the sequoias, the redwoods. The picture is of a tree that is planted firmly. A tree that, that does not waver or shake in the wind. A tree that is strong, that is mighty. And Jesus is making the point that God's people, filled with joy, filled with comfort, filled with the freedom of the gospel, are a people who are strong, morally strong. They are an oaks of righteousness. Not only has righteousness been credited and imputed to us through faith in Jesus, but it has been imparted to us. We are being filled to walk in righteousness. We're becoming more and more like 
Jesus, our Savior, not because of our own strength, right? Not for any boasting that we might give to ourselves or glory that we give to ourselves, because no, what does the end of verse 3 say? We are the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God the Father is the one who has planted us by his grace, and he is the one who is growing us up in righteousness by the Spirit, not for our glory, but for his glory. The old has gone, the new has come. We have been delivered from sin's power so that we might walk in newness of life. We've been united to Jesus Christ by the Spirit so that we might bear the Spirit's fruit. So that the Father might be glorified, that the Father might be revealed as the one who is full of splendor and full of majesty and full of honor. This is the newness. The newness that is offered to you if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. If you don't know the the freedom of the gospel, if you don't know the the joy and the comfort, the forgiveness of sins, the moral strength that comes in Jesus Christ, then we call you to come to Christ. Repent of your sins. Believe the gospel. Know that he will bind up your broken hearts. Today will be the day of salvation for you. But if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, then perhaps you also know this experience that happens when we lose our taste for the new. Some of you have had COVID these last two years and you've lost your taste and smell and perhaps you still don't have it or you don't taste things the same way. They're perhaps bitter or, or rotten or, or metallic. I've heard different uh, people say different things. It's possible to lose our taste, to lose our sense of taste for spiritual realities as well, isn't it? The joy and the freedom, the strength, that's what Christianity tastes like. And yet, it's easy for us to lose the taste of these realities. It's easy for us to live the Christian life as if Jesus has not come, giving us joy and comfort and the hope and the freedom of the gospel. You see, there is still much to mourn about because we do live in a fallen world. But all too often we can grieve as those who have no hope. We live in a fallen world and and therefore sin still indwells even us who believe in Jesus. But all too often we can live as if sin's power has not been broken. We can live as, as if we don't have the ability by God's grace to put sin to death. We live in a fallen world and and therefore we see our bodies decaying daily. We see our souls sometimes walking not by faith but by sight. We see our souls growing weak in faith, growing strong in the boastful pride of life and self-righteousness and self-consumption, the lust of the flesh, self-centeredness. It is all too easy to fail to be strong in the strength that is found in Jesus Christ. And why does this happen to us? Well, it happens because the coming of Jesus that was announced here in Isaiah chapter 61 actually turned out to be a two-stage coming, didn't it? In his first coming, he came to accomplish redemption through his suffering and death. But the fullness of redemption, the fullness of of joy, the fullness of freedom and strength and righteousness await his second coming. Some commentators think that Jesus intentionally stopped where he stopped in Luke chapter 4, 
right before, right when he read to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he didn't read in the day of vengeance of our God. It's possible that he intentionally stops there because he wants to say, I've come at this coming, not to bring God's vengeance, but to bear God's vengeance in myself, in my own person, in my body on the tree. I've come to bring the year of Jubilee, the year of God's favor, to announce good news. But there is a day of vengeance coming, isn't there? There is a day of judgment that we await. And that day of judgment will also be the day of celebration. Because it will be the day when all of our enemies are judged and done away with. Where the fullness of hope, the fullness of joy, the fullness of redemption even the redemption of our bodies comes when the suffering servant is the glorified Lord that is now at the right hand of heaven. We see him in the flesh. And so now we wait in between the first and the second coming, waiting this day when he will fully and finally make all things new. And so we're called to mourn in joyful hope and the comfort of the gospel. We're called to to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We are called by the grace of God to recognize that our strength is made perfect in Jesus in our weaknesses. We know that a day is coming when all sin and all sorrow will disappear. The Lord's table points us even to that day. We remember his death until He comes again. Every time we come to the table, we remember that our Lord Jesus, who came in flesh, will return in flesh. And so we pray that God would give us grace day by day, month by month, year by year, to wait for our blessed hope. As Paul puts it in Titus, the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, a people who are zealous for good deeds. So may God make it so that this newness of comfort and joy, this newness of freedom, this newness of strength and righteousness will be ours even now as we wait more and more. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this glorious text. We've just scratched the surface of its beauty and glory. Lord, we come, we gather as a people who are brokenhearted, who are mourning, who are poor and afflicted. Lord, we humble ourselves, but we are so thankful that you lift us up and you fill us with joy and gladness. Lord, would you transform us this day? Lord, would you assure us again that you have liberated us, you have rescued us. God, you have planted us by grace. We are these oaks of righteousness. And more and more we are growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So Lord, even now as we come to your table, would you take your word and as we eat and drink and feed upon you by faith, oh Lord, would you grow us in the grace of the gospel that we have just heard proclaimed through your word. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.